everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist, hosted by Dr. Colby Taylor, a psychologist and assistant professor of behavioral sciences at Christian Brothers University. So you can call off the search parties. You might be wondering where I've been for almost a month. Um, a few weeks ago, my wife Lauren and I had our second baby. Now, this one's a baby boy, and his name is Rowan. So we had a scheduled induction for May 20th, which was right at the end of the academic semester, right at the end of the spring semester. So in the week before the 20th, I sort of hunkered down, knocked all my grading out. Um, I finished grading like the night of the 19th. And then early on the morning of the 20th, we went to the hospital for an induction. And we tried the induction for eight hours or so, but the baby wasn't progressing. It was a little transverse. So we ended up opting for a C-section. Um, I got to be in the operating room for the C-section, which was a neat experience. Um, everything went splendidly, and we spent two nights in the hospital before coming home. And now Rowan is two weeks old. Uh, just yesterday, he had his two-week checkup with the pediatrician. Um, he's perfectly healthy. Lauren and I are super blessed, if not a little sleep-deprived. Um, last week was super hectic, too. So I'm ending my term as the faculty assembly president at Christian Brothers University, and we had our graduation last week. So I got to lead the commencement procession holding the mace. And the mace, for those of you that don't know, is sort of an academic baton. Now it's ceremonial, but back in the medieval times, uh, religious and academic processions would be led by a mace bearer who would beat crowds out of the way for processions to go through. Um, so we had graduation. And then right before that, that same morning, um, I also ran in a half marathon. So when we were in the hospital, right before going back to the operating room to meet Rowan, I got a message that I had one entry into the Great American River Run. Um, so since it was a free entry, you know, I had to do it. Um, I actually ended up with my personal best time. Uh, the weather was chilly, which is absolutely crazy uh, for almost June. It was almost June, into May, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and then I ran from the race a few blocks to graduation. Um, I didn't shower or anything either, so I probably stank. Um, also, funny story, before the race, Lauren ordered me these super short running shorts, sort of as a joke. Um, luckily for everyone else, um, it was so cold outside, I had an excuse not to wear them in the race. Um, since we've had a layoff since the last episode, I've gotten some mailbag requests. Uh, I have a few mailbag requests for an episode on paraphilias, so I dedicate my next episode to paraphilias. That should be a really fun topic. Um, and then I had an episode request for high-functioning autism or Asperger syndrome. Um, here's the email. I'll read it out loud. Um, I have been very much enjoying your work, uh, your podcast. I really enjoy the topics, especially when you add interesting thoughts, ideas, or random facts. I think they're pretty much all random facts. Um, currently, I'm preparing for my NCE in the state of Michigan. I have a master's in forensic psychology and have a wide range of interesting experiences as a result, and I'm getting ready to be licensed. I stumble upon your podcast when looking for other ways to learn DSM-5 info outside of just reading the book. While listening, I identified with a few aspects you talked about in abnormal psychology. S specifically, I'm becoming a bit more aware that I may be on the spectrum, but not sure. Kind of exploring that now. I plan on reaching out to address that a bit more once I've done further research and I feel confident that is the case. Anywho, I was just wondering if you would be interested in covering high-functioning folks on the spectrum. Uh, just covering the topic would be really great as well, regardless of functioning level. And not to be too selfish, but what about high-functioning folks that are diagnosed as adult or as an adult? 
I've noticed folks have a harder time as adults trying to figure out this type of diagnosis. As well, it does seem that females may present differently than males with this diagnosis and have a harder time with this diagnosis as adults. Not sure on that last part. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. Also, if you could include any helpful resources, that would be awesome. So that's the email. And ask and you shall receive. Uh, as always, you can send mailbag requests or questions or complaints or whatever to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu with the subject line mailbag, and I'll try to make it happen. Um, High-functioning autism is a topic I'm super passionate about. Uh, I did a short survey episode on autism last November uh, in season one of this podcast, but it barely scratched the surface. So I'm happy to dedicate this episode to high-functioning autism. You'll notice I'm saying high-functioning autism and not Asperger syndrome. If you'll remember back to that November episode on autism, which is a really long way to remember back, uh, there hasn't been a separate diagnosis of Asperger syndrome since 2013 when the DSM-5 came out. Uh, now it's covered under the umbrella diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. Also, there is some possible Nazi baggage with Hans Asperger, so I'm going to use the admittedly clunkier term high-functioning autism in this podcast. And I realize there are many proud Aspies that are out there, uh, though, and they prefer the Asperger moniker, but for this podcast, I'm going to stick with high-functioning autism. Um, if you're familiar with the autism literature, uh, you'll see a couple of abbreviations or acronyms referring to high-functioning autism. One is HFA, high-functioning autism, and another is HFASD, high-functioning autism spectrum disorder, which again gives a nod that all autism, high-functioning or not, is part of autism spectrum disorder. So we should already have a pretty good understanding of autism. Uh, if not, go back and listen to my autism episode from last season. Um, but this high-functioning piece might have you scratching your head. And for good reason. There's no real consist consensus on what constitutes high-functioning. But a lot of research studies define high-functioning as having an IQ of 80 or above. High-functioning autism can still have all of the diagnostic criteria, criteria A and criteria B, the DSM-5 for autism spectrum disorder. But one thing we see a lot among high, higher functioning individuals is language delay, uh, particularly expressive language delay. Uh, about half or even more than half of high functioning folks have speech delays, but many are fluently speaking by the age of five. Symptoms might be more nuanced for higher functioning individuals. So these people often slip through the cracks and are diagnosed later, if at all. So with the mailbag request talking about being diagnosed in adulthood isn't uncommon for high-functioning autism. With autism in general, the average age of diagnosis is four years, 10 months. But with high-functioning autism, it's around seven years of age. High-functioning women are even more likely to slip through the cracks. I remember reading this great article on the website Scary Mommy last, uh, I think it was last year, uh, and it's titled, I'm Autistic But Didn't Know It Until After Marriage and Kids. Uh, it's by Wenna, W-E-N-N-A, Fullerton, um, if you want to look it up and read it. Um, but women on the spectrum do tend to present differently than men. Um, the core features, those diagnostic criteria, are all there, but they can look very, very different and are often more nuanced than women. It's interesting and troubling that the ICD, the International Classification of Diseases, uses almost entirely, almost exclusively male examples 
and its illustration of autism spectrum disorder. Uh, another website or resource I recommend is called The Little Black Duck. It's out of Australia and has a collection of great graphics to explain autism. And one of the graphics talks about females on the autism spectrum. Among things mentioned on this graphic, females are less likely to be physically aggressive than males. And sort of side note, I prefer the term defensive to aggressive when talking about autism. Um, females are more socially adept. They follow scripts and have a veneer of social skills that many males lack. Uh, but some might seem to be socially immature, uh, especially when compared to age mates. And this might lead them to having difficulties fitting in. Anyways, going back to the mailbag request, the Little Black Duck is a resource I recommend. And I also recommend the website Autism Women's Network. Okay, so let me tie in some personal experience to this episode. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I work with a nonprofit called STARS. STARS stands for Students Tackling Autism-Related Syndromes. Uh, you can access our website at collegestars.org. Anyways, we're composed of college students with high-functioning autism. Uh, we have social programs like karaoke, game nights, and improv nights. Speaking of high-functioning autism and improv, uh, there's a great documentary movie out there called Asperger's Are Us. I uh, highly recommend you watch it. It's pretty funny. Anyways, STARS has social programs. Uh, we have wellness programs involving exercise and mindfulness. We have service programs where we give back to the community. And we have study halls and academic programs. Uh, many high-functioning individuals struggle with executive functioning, especially with organization. Uh, and also many uh, carry a dual diagnosis of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And if you're gifted and talented and hold a diagnosis like autism or ADHD, you might be called twice exceptional. Speaking of attentional difficulties, one of the most widely used screeners for high-functioning autism is known as the Autism Quotient, the AQ. It's free and open source. You can Google Autism Quotient and you can take it yourself. Um, the Autism Quotient assesses five areas. Attention switching, so going back to the attentional stuff I was talking about a second ago, local details, communication, social, and imagination. It was created by British psychologist Simon Baron Cohen, um, who's a titan in the field of autism research. Uh, and also, interestingly, is the first cousin of Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, you probably know from Borat. Uh, anyways, I've written a research article comparing the autism quotients of Jeopardy contestants to the general population. Uh, the rote knowledge you need to succeed in a trivia competition like Jeopardy might parallel some of the restricted interests or little professor syndrome traits that go along with high functioning autism. So this inspired the study and we found in our sample of 117 Jeopardy contestants, the Jeopardy contestants scored significantly higher on all five areas of the autism quotient than the general population. And Jeopardy contestants were 10 times more likely to meet the clinical cutoff score of 32 or above than the general population. Um, hopefully I'll get this published over the summer. Uh, it's on my to-do list. So I'll keep you updated in future episodes, whether it gets accepted or not for publication. Um, rote knowledge and trivia skills aren't the only sort of superpowers that high-functioning individuals might have. Uh, some might also have EPF or enhanced perceptual functioning. A minority of high-functioning individuals might hyper-perceive their environment. That might be where we get some of the sensory sensitivity stuff. Um, anyways, 
Occasionally, this can result in perfect pitch with music or the ability to draw in perfect proportion with art. Um, sometimes these are called savant skills or splinter abilities. Uh, we think that less than 10% of people with autism have them, but they might manifest as having incredible visual, musical, mnemonic, or calculation abilities. They might also result in being able to speak multiple languages, being a polyglot, or even a hyperpolyglot that can speak many different languages. Uh, you might also have hyperlexia, where you are really precocious at reading. You might learn to read at an early age, and you might read well beyond your grade or age level expectations. Um, I learned to read at like two and a half years of age, by the way, which is another reason I sometimes think I myself might have high functioning autism. Uh, as well as some of my colleagues in academia. I think it's uh, academia might be sort of rife with high-functioning autism. Uh, splinter skills are more common in males and females by about six to one. Um, so some last website resources I want to share. One is autisticnotweird.com, and another is yourlittleprofessor.com. Um, hopefully you find these and this episode helpful. Uh, anyways, my sleep deprivation is really, really starting to kick in. Uh, sorry if I, I babbled in this episode or uh, wasn't coherent at all. So I'm going to call it an episode. Uh, I'm going to try to get some sleep or at least some caffeine. And I'll be back soon with an episode on paraphilias. Until then, take care and stay well.